This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
Thank you, Rachel and the boys. Um, open your Bibles, please, to the book of First Samuel, chapter 25. This is week three in our series entitled David, and, and if you've missed one or both of our lessons in this series, you can <clears throat> always catch up by listening to the podcast, or you can contact the church office for a CD or a DVD. Uh, sorry for you old-timers, no cassettes nor eight-tracks are available anymore. Um, in last week's lesson, we saw that David made some really, really bad decisions that left him in a mess. And today he's on the verge of complicating that with another horrible decision. But fortunately for David, at the last minute, and when I say last minute, I mean at the very last minute, he is saved by a woman. And many men have been saved by women. And men, on this Mother's Day, this would be the perfect time to say amen. amen. Now, to begin building the foundation for our lesson, I think that most all of us are familiar with the golden rule. You know that it goes like this, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And if you were raised in church, that was hammered in your head by, you know, Sunday school teachers, your pastor, and of course your, your parents. And the golden rule is great. That is until we're the ones that, who are mistreated. And then we want to change it to go something like this, do unto others as others have done unto us. And of course, as Christians, we know we're not, we're not supposed to get even and, and we're not supposed to get revenge. And so we change it a little bit and say, you know, they, they deserve just a little of their own medicine. And that somehow makes us feel better about getting even. But there's a problem with this whole approach to life. And, and I know all of you, or at least most of you, are above average in your intelligence. And so you know where we're going with this. The, the problem is, with getting even is that it makes you even with a person you don't even like. Okay, so that's the sermon in a nutshell. Let's roll. David's story takes place about 3,000 years ago. And in our first lesson, David stepped into the pages of history as a 15-year-old that took down a 9-foot-tall giant named Goliath. Well, naturally, David became the darling of Israel. But, but King Saul, who was very insecure, was threatened by David's success. And so he went on a mission to kill him, which caused David to have to flee for his life. Today, we pick up David's story during the time period when he was a fugitive. He was running from King Saul. And at this time, he's surrounded by about 600 men. It was quite the motley crew because the Bible says that most of them were rough characters. They, they were renegades. They were disgruntled with life. They're, they're in debt. And they don't feel welcome anywhere. So David and these men are running around roaming around in the desert trying to survive off of the land. That's where we pick up the story, 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we're going to pick up with verse 2. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats, 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. Now, for, for people in that day, upon hearing that a man had a 1,000 goats, and 3,000 sheep, they would have said, wow, this guy is loaded. He is filthy rich. Verse 3, his name was Nabal, 
and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. So this verse introduces the star of today's lesson, a, a woman named Abigail, whom the Bible says was smart and beautiful. But whereas Abigail is the star of our lesson, her husband Nabal would be considered the villain of our lesson. He was a pain in the neck. Today we would have called him a jerk. He was mean. He was surly. And, and that word surly just means bad-tempered and unfriendly. In fact, we'll find out in a moment that his name, Nabal, literally means fool. And as it turns out, that's exactly what he was. Verse 4. While David was, in the, David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. So this is the time of year when, when, when they sheared sheep and it was a very festive time because this was like our harvest time. It was when they got their annual paycheck. And if it was a good year, then the owners generally felt somewhat generous during this time. David knew that. He sent his men to talk to Nabal. Verse 6. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that's yours. Now, I, I hear that at sheep shearing time... When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Now, what David was saying through the, these messengers was that if you turn a good prophet this year, part of the reason is that our men were like a wall around your shepherds and around your sheep. And we basically protected them. So David's men said in verse 8, ask your own servants and they will tell you, therefore, be favorable toward my young men, since we've come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So David and his men had been living off the land that they're probably hungry and they were hoping that Nabal might be willing to share with them. Verse 9, when, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, then they waited. Here was Nabal's answer. Verse 10, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I slaughtered for my shears and, and give it to men coming from who knows where? In other words, Nabal said, you know, you really can't be too careful these days. I mean, this David could be an outlaw. He could be a fugitive. And besides that, I didn't ask for his help. So I don't owe him a dime. And I'm surely not going to give anything to these men that who knows what their background is. Verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. Well, how did David react to this news? Well, as you can only imagine, David was steamed. He was mad. And if there were music being played in this movie, the music here would probably change to something more ominous. Verse 13, David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, let me, let me just kind of insert this. It's easy for us to be critical of David. And David was wrong. But understand that David has been on the run for a while now. 
He's having to live off of the land he, when he knows that he really should be living at home or even in the palace as king because the kingdom has been promised to him. He's tried to do the right thing. And, and when he did mess up and did do the wrong thing, he repented and came back to God. But he's tired. His patience has worn thin. And this incident is like that proverbial last straw that broke the camel's back. And of course, in that day of camels, this was a little bit more significant. And so as the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. And David had been hurt. And so he says, guys, we're going to go hurt some people. We don't have to take this nonsense. So strap on your swords. And they begin the short journey to find Nabal. Well, in the meantime, in verse 14, one of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings but he hurled insults at them, at them. Yet these men were very good to us. Listen to this. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing night and day. They were a wall around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. So the servants reiterated to Abigail that David's men had indeed helped protect their flocks. And then they said to Abigail, verse 17, now think it over. And see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man. Now, remember they're telling this to his wife. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Well, well, how did Abigail react? Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep. Five seas of roasted grain, which would be about a bushel. A hundred cakes of raisins and, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not, smart woman, she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now, again, as I say a lot, you need to read the Bible. You like drama? The Bible's got it. You like adventure? The Bible's got it. If you're warped and like romance, the Bible's got it. If you're even more warped and like violence, the Bible has it. You should read the Bible. Verse 20. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine. So try to get the picture. There's a mountain. Coming off of that mountain is a ravine. And, and David and his men are snaking their way down into the ravine where the sheep shearing is going on. Abigail from the other side snaking her way down she goes riding her donkey to meet them and as she meets them she sees there's no nonsense going on with the men they're they're not cutting up they're serious they're on a mission they're armored up well it's interesting as david is making his way towards an encounter with Nabal, it's almost as if he's having an imaginary conversation in his mind to justify his actions. You know, we do that sometimes. We, we had a conversation trying to justify our, our wrongdoing, and he knows he's about to butcher some people. He's about to let loose that rage that's been building up over time. And here's what David says in verse 21. It's been useless. You know, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. Is trying to justify himself. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. 
Now that's going to be a slaughter. David's trying to justify all of this within his own mind. Now, this next part is so rich. And I'm going to walk you through it slowly. Because this is the kind of thing that if you're just reading this on your own, you might zip through it quickly and miss the gold. So we're going to slow down. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Now, obviously, this seems kind of strange to us. And, and by the way, ladies, don't go out of here saying, well, Joe told us that we're supposed to bow down before men. I'm not saying that, okay? That, this was a culture where in certain situations it made sense. Today, if you did that, it'd just be weird. But Abigail is, is the wife of a wealthy man. And, and so even though it might be culturally appropriate, she really didn't need to bow down to anyone. Plus, at this stage in his life, David is nothing more than a renegade. He's a fugitive. He's kind of an outlaw. But here's a very wealthy woman married to a very influential man. And she bows down to David. Verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, my Lord, <clears throat> let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. In other words, David, my Lord, would you please take a moment to hear me out? Verse 25, may my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. She's talking about her husband. He's just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I, I did not see the men my master sent. So in other words, David, I, I'm fully aware that my husband is a wicked man. His name is Fool. He lives up to his name. But, but please, could you just forget about him for a moment? Now, this has to totally catch David off guard. And, and, and this is so interesting. I want you to kind of focus on this right here. She begins to treat David as if he were already the man that she hopes he will be. In other words, she's giving him credit for backing off of what he had set out to do. Uh, let, me, let me explain this. And, and ladies, you need to take note of this. What Abigail did in this next verse works on us even when we know what you're doing. I, I'm serious. Uh, we fall for it every time. It, it's like you pat us on the head and say, honey, you're so strong. I bet you could take those trash cans out to the street with one arm. <laughs> we can't resist that. Or, 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 honey, I don't know how you do it, but you work so fast. I bet you could vacuum the whole house in five minutes. <clears throat> or, or, honey, you, you seem to have a way with loading the dishwasher. I, I mean, you know exactly where to put the dishes so you can get a bunch of dishes in there and still have them come out clean. And, and ladies, we know exactly what you're doing the whole time. You're buttering us up. You're manipulating us. I mean, we're not stupid. But we still fall for it every time. And Abigail basically does that in verse 26. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. Now, this is crazy. She's looking at 400 men. They're armored up. They've got swords. They're chopping at the bits that... They're, they're worked up. The adrenaline is high. They're on their way to hurt some people. And here Abigail says, since the Lord has kept you from this slaughter, may your enemies 
and all who are intent on harming you be like Nabal the fool. She's giving David credit for being a better man than he actually is at the moment. Well, she goes on and says, and, and let this gift, remember all the food stuff that she was bringing? 200 loaves of bread and sheep and grain. Let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master. And here's why. Because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. So, in other words, David, I know your heart. You're, you're a good man. You're, you're not a man that slaughters innocent people. And then she says this, verse 29. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, so she knows who David is. She knows that King Saul is after him. Said the life of my master, catch this. The life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. Now, th this is a fascinating phrase. It's a powerful phrase. This is the language where you would take something valuable and wrap cords around it to make sure it's secure. And then like a wallet, you would tuck it in your belt or, or in your pocket or, or stick it in the bottom of your purse where it would be safe. So, so she's saying, David, even though somebody is trying to steal your life like a thief would steal something valuable, yet your life is securely bound or tucked away in God's wallet or, or safely buried in the bottom of a purse. Okay, I got to say something about this really quick. Faith, faith is here, but I'm still going to say it. Um, anytime she says to me, Joe, it's in my purse. Could you just reach in there and get it? I break out in a cold sweat. I had to take a deep breath and spend some time praying. And you know, I, I'm a mountain climber. I, I climb 21,000 foot mountains and, and I, 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 I can jump out of an airplane, but navigating in and around a woman's purse is way more stressful than those. And I mean, it's not that Faith's purse is terribly messy, but, but honestly, I would rather go fishing for piranhas than go fishing in her purse. <laughs> but, but all of that to say that whatever is in her purse is pretty safe. I can't find it. But, but anyway, Abigail uses this incredible imagery. David, your life is so secure. It's bound up with cords and hidden in God's wallet. It's tucked way down in a purse where no one can get to it. Isn't that awesome? But then Abigail says this, and, and this is the kind of thing that you sometimes miss when you're just rushing to read the Bible to stay on schedule. And by the way, don't do that. You know, it's okay if you want to read the Bible through in a year, and, and, and I'm fine with that. But if that's all you're doing is just speed reading to get through it in a year, forget it. I would rather you just read a little chunk a day and really pray over it, meditate, and see your life change. And I'm not saying you shouldn't read the Bible through every year, but you know what? Just slow down and see what is really in, in, in the Word. Um, but anyway, here it says, but the lives... Of your enemies, he will hurl away as the pocket of a uh, as from the pocket of a sling. And so, right here, she takes David back to the moment when he, as a fifteen-year-old, was facing Goliath, and it's like she's reminding him of the time when he was completely dependent on God. Remember, in the first lesson, "In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust." We kept repeating that, "In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust." 
Well, then this next section of, of Scripture is amazing. I keep saying amazing and powerful and incredible because that's the way Scripture is. But in verse 30, it says, When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And, and when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. So did you catch this? She's basically saying, David, when you become king, when you look back at this incident, what story do you want told about this? Do you want it told that you slaughtered a bunch of innocent people because of one man that was a fool? Do you want on your conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed? David, what happens today will be a permanent record in your story. And David, I'm believing that today you will do the right thing. Well, how does David react to Abigail's plea? He just melts. In verse 32, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Abigail, you had good judgment. I didn't. And sending all that food down here before you got here was so smart. And, and when you bowed down before me, that threw me off guard. And as you've reasoned with me, I basically become putty in your hands. And praise be to the Lord God Almighty for sending you at such a time as this. And for keeping me from the slaughter that we were going to inflict. And then it says, then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. Okay, we can go home now. Or we can find out what happens next. The next part is really fascinating. Anybody want to know what happens next? Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> Verse 36, when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Again, smart woman. He's drunk as a skunk. She knows that it's probably not the best time to tell him of her conversation with David. So she waits until the morning till... Kind of gotten the alcohol out of his system. Verse 37, then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. You want to know David's reaction to the news? When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. In other words, thank God I didn't go through with my intentions. God took care of the problem. You know, let that be a, let that be a lesson to all of us. Sometimes we take matters into our own hands. We think we're going to fix this. We're going to hurt somebody. We're going to take care of this problem. We're going to give them a little of their own medicine. God has a way of taking care of problems so much better than we can. Amen. Let him do it. And then how many of you like a romance story? Verse 40, his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent 
us to you to take you to become his wife. Verse 42, Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five maids, went with David's messengers and became his wife. And they all lived happily ever after. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Actually, she just became another one of his wives. And I don't think anybody lives happily ever after when you just become one of somebody's wives. But that's another story for another day. So in summary, here's what we have. We have three characters. The first character, Nabal, what does he do? He returns evil for good. The second character, David, was about to return evil for evil. The third character, Abigail, essentially returns good for evil. So in closing, three, uh, three questions. The first question is this, and we mentioned this early on, but I want you to listen again. Do you really want to be even with someone you don't like? Seriously, do you want to be like the person that you don't like? You say, well, no. Well, then don't act like the person that you don't like. Instead of being even, wouldn't it be better to be ahead? And do you know how to pull ahead? You pull ahead by refusing to get even. Question number two. This is a big one. What story do you want told about your life? There is David sitting on his donkey, perhaps a few hundred yards away from slaughtering a bunch of people and Abigail stops him and says, do you really want this on your conscience? Do you really want your story to be, and I got even. And I became just like the people I didn't even like. What story do you want told about your life? And then here's the third question. What would it look like for you to return good for evil? When you think about your ex, or your former employer, or your son, or your daughter, or your dad, or your mom, or your neighbor, what would it look like in those specific instances to return good for evil? I'm finished with this. I realize that returning good for evil is not part of our culture. But when you do it, it sets you apart. And ultimately, it will set you free. Because until you return good for evil, the person that has mistreated you controls you. So here's what David would tell us. We're in a series with David. Here's the advice that David would give us. Don't settle for even. Even is easy. Even is predictable. Don't write the predictable story of, I got even. I gave him a little of his own medicine. Don't write a predictable story. Rather, write a remarkable story. Be remarkable. and In other words, do precisely for others what they don't deserve. And guess what? When you do that, when you return good for evil, you become a little more like Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I know it's so hard. This is just one of the most basic reactions of humanity. When we're hurt, we hurt back. God, I pray that you would help us to do what doesn't come natural. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to not be predictable in this because society is predictable. You hurt me, I hurt you. But remarkable is when you hurt me, I bless you. And God, I don't think that's something that we can do in our own strength because we're not wired that way, that the flesh wants to hurt someone. But Father, I pray that in those cases where somebody has hurt us, I pray that the divine intervention would come and, and would help us to be able to uh, forgive. Lord, that doesn't mean that we won't be hurt. That doesn't mean that everything will be the same. But Father, we don't want to let them control us by harboring ill will and bitterness and anger. God, we know that when we are able to release someone from the hurt, we're set free. They'll still have their day in court. Lord, uh, your word says, vengeance is mine. I will repay and you'll take care of it. But Father, I, I pray that we would let you take care of it. That we would not take matters into our own hands and, 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 and try to take care of this thing whenever you do a much better job. And Father, if there's someone maybe in our lives that needs to come to us and like Abigail came to David and Lord, would you send that person, maybe that person that has been able to see through us and, and know that we're really harboring bitterness and, and, and some revenge and we, we want to get, even though, even though we, you know, we're too godly to say it that way, Lord, if there's some of that in us, would you send maybe a confidant, a friend, a relative that would just say, you know what? I, I, I think you've got a little bit of revenge and bitterness in you. And Lord, would you send that Abigail into our lives to maybe cause us to think and wake up? So Lord, this week, we're probably going to be hurt. We're going to have some things said to us that will sting. Maybe by our spouse, by our kids. We may be the one doing that. But Lord, whenever that happens, I pray that we would react in a way to where we bless them, where we would honor you and your word that says, love your enemies, do good to them. Thank you, Father. We bless your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.